CNN founder Ted Turner says global warming could lead to cannibalism. His remedy? Stabilize the population. And does the Second Amendment provide individuals have the right to bear arms or just militias? The Supreme Court is considering this. Plus, more than a million died in the 1994 Rwanda genocide. We'll discuss the problems that remain and the Christian response. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. Jerry, who are you voting for? (laughs) (laughs) Who gets your vote? Obama. Well, do you recognize that voice? Uh, That one-word answer was Jane Fonda, Hanoi Jane, leaving a restaurant last night. She was asked about her preference in the presidential race, and she had a one-word answer, Obama. Obama Fonda, what a a combination. Uh, Are they similar politically? Does that scare you? Give us a call, 800-881-9270. I'm Penna Dexter, sitting in for Dr. Johnson. We have a lot to talk about today. And uh, the Supreme Court is looking at the first significant Ten Commandments case in 70 years. It's Heller versus the District of Columbia. It's uh, the D.C. gun ban, for short. Will the high court decide once and for all if the Second Amendment grants individuals the right to keep and bear arms? Attorney Lorian Updike from Consource is going to join us uh, to talk about that. Uh, but next up, uh, let's listen to Bill Clinton four years ago after the Rwandan massacre. He stopped briefly in Rwanda at an airport. This is what he said. We did not act quickly enough after the killing began. We should not have allowed the refugee camps to become safe haven for the killers. We did not immediately call these crimes by their rightful name, genocide. We cannot change the past, but we can and must do everything in our power to help you build a future without fear. Unfortunately, we cannot change the past. The United States is guilty. We didn't really do anything in that horrible massacre. We are going to talk about this a little bit later in the program. What can we learn about the West, the church, and the human condition after this horrible genocide that took place in 1994 in Rwanda? The small African nation is still healing, as we're going to find out. Families were left headed by children, and they are now trying to cope. Why did this happen? How can the church respond to this? There's a new book out about it. We're going to interview one of the authors later in the program. But first, as I said, uh, Jane Fonda and her former husband, Ted Turner, are in the news. In fact, uh, she's endorsing Barack Obama. He is, well, here's what this former CNN head said on the Charlie Rose Show. Not doing it will be catastrophic. 
we'll have eight degrees, we'll be eight degrees hotter in 10, not 10, but in 30 or 40 years. And basically none of the crops will grow. Most of the people will have died and the rest of us will be cannibals. Civilization will have broken down. What The few people that are left will be living in a, in, in a failed state like Somalia or Sudan. And, and living conditions will be intolerable. The droughts will be so bad there'll be no more corn growing. It, it will, the, the not doing it is suicide. Just like dropping bombs on each other, nuclear weapons is suicide. So we've got to stop doing the two suicidal things, which are nuclear hanging on to our and, nuclear and, weapons. And global and, and then after that, we've got to we've got to stabilize the population. When I was born, no, there was so what's too, wrong with the population? I mean, with too many people. That's, what, that's why we have global warming. We have global warming because too many people are using too much stuff. And the answer, uh, according to Ted Turner, is stabilize the population. He says failure to address global warming is going to have us all dead or eating each other by mid-century. That's basically what Ted Turner says. And I'm not even going to ask you if you agree with him, but I am going to ask you uh, if his fix is right. Do we need to somehow figure out how to get less people so that we can combat global warming? Give us a call. Any comments on Ted Turner or Jane Fonda are welcome today on the program, 800-881-9270. Let's go to Bob in Terrell first, Bob. Thanks for calling. Yes, Penna. Uh, I feel that uh, Jane Fonda is, uh, in my opinion, communism big time because uh, she is, uh, she is uh, un-American in her views because we saw that in Vietnam. And uh, with her and Obama, I feel that they both have the same views. Obama, he still hasn't said that he agrees with uh, Reverend uh, Jeremiah Wright. And uh, he says that pregnancy is a judgment. I call it judgment, not uh, uh, what he said. And also, uh, and because uh, um, he wants to de-arm America if he becomes a president. And I'd like to know if uh, he has the same views as uh, Farrakhan and uh, Jeremiah Wright. And, uh, okay, Bob, we've, uh, we've, we understand your questions. And I want to jump in right now just uh, on this issue, because I know that we've been talking about Barack Obama a lot lately. And we also spent a lot of time uh, last week talking about Jeremiah Wright and his pastor. And you're all familiar with that. And uh, we did get one complaint about it saying we were racist. And uh, we're not talking about anybody's race right now. We're uh, happy if there's a woman, a female, or a black, or any race that uh, presents a qualified candidate that agrees with us on positions. We're happy to see them elected to high office. So we're talking about positions. And I spent a lot of time yesterday talking about the, the positions of Barack Obama. For instance, I mean, if you look at uh, African Americans, conservatives and Christians often love Alan Keyes. Uh, they've got positive comments about former Congressman J.C. Watts. And uh, of course, uh, we've even got a conservative here in the studio. One of our producers says, John McCain gives me a headache and he's white. <laughs> it has nothing to do with race. So we just kind of want to explain that to you. Uh, before we go to the callers, we've got several waiting on the line. I do want to air the uh, comment made by Barack Obama. He was at a town hall meeting in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, campaigning. Of course, that primary is coming up uh, later in the month. But this was Saturday. Barack Obama was talking about sex ed, HIV, AIDS, unwanted pregnancies. And this is his view that he offered about uh, babies. When it comes specifically to HIV, AIDS, the most important prevention is education, which should include which should include abstinence only edu- should include abstinence education 
and and teaching the children teaching children you know that sex is not something casual but it should also include it should also include other you know information about contraception because look I've got two daughters nine year old nine years old and six years old I'm gonna teach them first of all about values and morals but if they make a mistake I don't want them punished with a baby all right, that's the comments. It's been all over the news, and uh, that's Barack Obama. We've talked about it at length, and you can weigh in on it if you'd like to, uh, because this is his idea. First of all, he backtracked on the idea of abstinence only <laughs> and just came back to abstinence education, which is the whole problem, because you dilute the message when you start talking about, well, if you can't abstain, then here's what you can do. Uh, but then he basically was saying that it would be okay uh, with him if his daughters uh, did something about uh, a pregnancy. He didn't want to saddle them with a baby. Well, we've got lots of folks weighing in on uh, Jane Fonda, Ted Turner. Let's go first to Angie and Joshua. Angie, thanks for calling. Hi, Tana. Thanks for taking my call. As far as Ted Turner and the overpopulation figure that he's talking about, I would think just the number of people that are dying of AIDS daily in Africa, not to mention the number of people in the U.S., there is no population problem. And secondly, I had heard Ted Turner the other day mention that he didn't believe that God would send him to hell. So that's all I have to say. (laughs) Interesting. You You know, uh, when you read these articles and then you go to the people's comments, uh, one person that commented said, well, we can agree that there is at least one person too many. Uh, I think he was referring to Ted Turner just because uh, some of the things he says are absolutely crazy. Another one says that it's hard to imagine a greater level of hysteria and ignorance than what's been expressed by Ted Turner. People are not the problem, Mr. Turner. Given freedom and free markets, people are the solution every time. It's really a conservative message. Well, let's go to Addison, talk to Erica. Eric, what do you have to say about Ted Turner? Hi, I just, um, I never thought I'd hear anything dumber than John Hagee's prophecy, but I think I have with Ted Turner, and that's all (laughs) I wanted to tell you. All right, Eric. What do you think so dumb about it? Uh, well, he's prophesying. I mean, the Lord will determine how things go. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't see how he can say that in ten or thirty or forty years that that we will be cannibals. Yeah, you know, there have been others that have prophesied that we wouldn't have enough food in the world. And, of course, it's a matter of getting it to the right places. I mean, there are certainly places where people are starving. I mean, but. Yeah, I just, the Lord is in control. That's all that matters. The Lord is in control, and we might shoot ourselves in the foot from time to time, uh, uh, you know, but we've got to get our mind off of the fact that America is the center of the world. The Lord is the center of the world, and America may be gone in 100 years or 10 years or tomorrow, but that's irrelevant. But, you know, I mean, we're so centered on ourselves and and our self-gratification and consumption it's ridiculous for him to make any kind of comments, especially uh, given his reference point and his, and his history. Eric, it's thank crazy. you so much for your call. I, th- I like the comment that, uh, you know, sometimes we act like we're the center of the world and the center of the universe. Later in the program, we're going to talk about a country that uh, we basically made some mistakes uh, in uh, their huge catastrophe that happened in their country in not coming to their aid. And we'll talk about that. It's, uh, of course, the Rwandan genocide that took place in 1994. But let's go back to the phones and speak with Charles in Dallas. Hi, Charles. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Eric and Keller. Eric, thanks for calling. Yes, ma'am. I tried calling yesterday. I'm glad you're revisiting the issue. Um, 
just a comment uh, yesterday that uh, Mr. Senator Obama gave that uh, he wanted sex education because he didn't want his his daughter's pregnant. Well, the the facts don't line up, and it beli- it, it betrays his belief in big government and a false belief. Uh, uh, Gary and Amarine Ezzo just recently was uh, watching some material from them, and they quoted some facts. I'm not sure how old they are. Growing they kids said, God's way. Yes, yes, ma'am. Uh, it was a follow-on material for teens, and they said that California spends more money on sex ed than any other state. And guess what? They have the highest teen pregnancy and STD rate, and it was one of the Dakotas, he said, was spent the least amount of money on sex ed. And guess what? They have the lowest teen uh, pregnancy and STD. So and of course, there's a, thank you for that call. I appreciate it. There's a battle in Congress right now about abstinence funding, because when Bush came into office, he said he was going to increase abstinence funding to get it up uh, approaching what comprehensive sex ed, which is condom education, Planned Parenthood style. And he's been working and doing that throughout his presidency. But now that uh, the liberals are in control of many of the committees in Congress, it's been very difficult to keep that abstinence funding and to keep increasing funding for abstinence, which, I mean, it's just so obvious, it's intuitive that abstinence would be the best way to protect against uh, pregnancy and sexually transmitted disease. Well, one more call uh, in this segment. We can take Charles in Dallas. Charles, thanks for calling. Yes. You know, well, you kind of stole my thunder a few minutes ago, but I just wanted to say that I fully agree with Ted Turner that I think that we do have an overpopulation problem by a factor of one. <laughs> Ted Turner, right? And I could probably come up with about two or three more to go along with him, but yeah, if he if he was uh, leaving this world, uh, going to his reward, uh, I'm sure there'd be a lot of people asking him if they could have his money. But thank you so much. We appreciate uh, your call and uh, all of you weighing in on this, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, we can uh, make fun of Ted Turner, some of his crazy statements. Uh, for we'll probably get a few more strange comments before the program is over. But next up, uh, we have a very serious subject to talk about, and that is the Constitution. Our next guest embarked on an ambitious project developing an online library of the source documents that help us understand what the founders meant when they wrote the Constitution. Now, some documents in this library are actually helping the Supreme Court right now decide a Second Amendment case. The question is, Did the founders mean for individuals to have the right to own guns, or is it simply malicious? We're going to talk about it with Lorianne Updike next on Jerry Johnson Live. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu.
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Jerry Johnson Live. A couple of weeks ago, the United States Supreme Court heard oral arguments in uh, the D.C. gun ban case. It's called Heller versus the District of Columbia. And uh, it's a Second Amendment case. uh, And really, it's the most significant or the first time in 70 years that the Supreme Court has really looked at a significant Second Amendment case to make a big decision, which is what they'll be making on this. And with us to discuss this is uh, my friend, Lorianne Updike. She is president of the Constitutional Resources Project, Consource. We've talked about this before on the program, but uh, Lorianne, thank you so much for joining me. Well, it's great to be here, Penny. Thanks so much. Uh, Lorianne, um, Consource was uh, sort of the brainchild that you had as a constitutional attorney to get uh, source documents, uh, sort of what the founders meant uh, when they wrote the Constitution and what people wrote about it onto the Internet so that all kinds of people could use this and could do this research. Now, you're thinking about school children, teachers, uh, attorneys, but also the Supreme Court, and they're using it, aren't they? That's right. That's right, Penna. They are. Tell us what's happening with this D.C. gun ban case. Well, as you mentioned, this is the first time in 70 years that the Supreme Court has looked at the Second Amendment in any kind of serious fashion, but it's actually the first time ever that they are deciding whether or not the Second Amendment guarantees an individual right to bear arms. And so because of that, they're going back to the framers' documents and seeing what they thought about the issue they're uncovering all kinds of things. If you look at the text of the Second Amendment, it says, let's see if I can quote this correctly, but a well-regulated militia uh, being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Um, and so the comma there, after being necessary to the security of a free state, is what's at issue. Does this first clause determine the meaning of the second clause and determine whether or not we individually can keep and bear arms, or is really the purpose of the Second Amendment to provide for well-regulated militia or a um, state-governed armed defense Mm -hmm. uh, to preserve our freedoms. And if you look at the documents, I mean, I've I've been reviewing them um, in light of this case, and the documents, especially those that are in consorts, really provide evidence both ways. So this is going to be a very, very interesting case to see how the Supreme Court comes down. Are the justices looking at all of those documents? Do you know which documents uh, they have actually taken hold of off of your website? Well, we we had the opportunity to train um, the Supreme Court library, and they in turn uh, trained a lot of the clerks. Um, There's no other resource like this out there, particularly because we add we add a piece of this, which is our, our constitutional index for the legal community. We've, we've identified all the legally significant clauses in the Constitution and then um, link those to the source material uh, available on the site. And we, know, we don't know specifically what documents they're using, but we do know what came up in oral argument last month. A couple of those documents um, that are on the site uh, are the Federalist Papers generally, and the federal pa- Federalist Papers talk more about the militia and the importance of regulating the militia and the importance of a militia to a free state. Um, but Which also, is very important, and yes. it was something that they were very concerned about. Well, clearly, the Revolutionary War gave context to the Constitution, and um, 
uh, no pun intended, but people were up in arms about yeah. large entities coming in and trying to control their lives. Uh, and they felt like local military that, that, that had some state control, but that was also tied to the uh, national federal government, uh, was a security against a big power like the national government or a foreign entity coming in and, and taking away those liberties. But they specifically mentioned um, uh, Madison's draft of the Bill of Rights, which he proposed in Congress on June 8th. We do have that on the site. And Madison's uh, proposal for the Second Amendment reads like this. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, semicolon, a well-armed and well-regulated militia being the best security of a free country, colon, but no person religiously scrupulous of bearing arms shall be compelled to render military service in person. So this first mentioned by Madison... So really what out. that says is that you could have a uh, an arm, a gun or whatever, and you don't necessarily have to serve in the militia. Right, right. So he's, uh, he's separated out the militia piece and the individual right to bear arms. And you see that throughout many of these documents. Um, the problem, though, with, with the documents is that uh, the, it, it begs the question: Does the text govern, or do the documents govern? Are, can you, or, or the bigger question: Can you really figure out what more than one person intended? Mm-hmm. You know, let's go now to the the arguments for a moment, and maybe this will give us some insight into this particular case and what the uh, justices are facing. This is. Washington, D.C.'s handgun ban. And by the way, Lorian Updike from the Constitutional Resources, the Constitutional Sources Project, Consource, www.consource.org is where you can go to find these. But let's go back to uh, the Supreme Court oral arguments. This is the D.C. handgun ban passed in 1976. As we said, it's one of the nation's strictest gun control laws. Now, right now, we're going to hear from attorney Walter Dellinger, uh, and he begins arguing on behalf of the District of Columbia, saying that the Second Amendment really just applies to the militia. And, of course, so you'll hear also Chief Justice Roberts interrupting him, questioning that statement. Let's what listen. is at issue this morning is the scope and nature of the individual right protected by the resulting amendment. And the first text to consider is the phrase protecting a right to keep and bear arms. In the debates over the Second Amendment, Every person who used the phrase bear arms used it to refer to the use of arms in connection with militia service. And when Madison introduced the amendment in the first Congress, he exactly equated the phrase bearing arms with, quote, rendering military service. We know this from the inclusion in his draft of a clause exempting those with religious scruples. He, his Clause says, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, a well-armed and well-regulated militia being the best security of a free country. But no person religiously scrupulous of bearing arms shall be compelled to render military service in person. And even if the language of keeping and bearing arms were ambiguous, the amendment's first clause confirms that the right is militia-related. It's a simple if you're, if you're right, Mr. Dellinger, uh, it's certainly an odd way in the Second Amendment to phrase the operative provision. If it is limited to state militias, why would they say the right of the people? Uh, in other words, why wouldn't they say state militias have the right to keep arms? Uh, Mr. Chief Justice, I believe that the phrase the people and the phrase the militia 
were really in, in sync with each other. And that's the question. Are the people the people, the individuals, or are the people referring there in that clause of the Constitution of the Second Amendment only referring to the militia? This is going to be really a major uh, decision, Lorianne. And, you know, do you were you in on the oral arguments? I mean, you certainly have a stake in this, seeing these justices using uh, your documents to actually make their decision. Well, I would hope that these are the people's documents and not mine. Right. Um, but You're providing but, the documents to the people. That's right. the wonderful thing about the Internet, and you've right. used it. And, right. uh, you know, you've really had a, an, an awesome brainstorm and idea here, and you're carrying it out. But were you there in the oral arguments? I wasn't. I was, I was managing media inquiries for my little office in D.C. <laughs> what do you think, though, about the importance of this? Well, I think that this is, this is precedential. Um, uh, I was talking to an individual yesterday who is a, a gun lover, and he said, you know, even if the government says that this is a <laughs> this is a, only a right that the military can hold, well, then they can come and take my gun, but only over my dead body. <laughs> and yeah. so this is a this is this is an issue which divides the country. There are so many people, um, particularly in rural areas, which hold it, particularly in Texas, which hold this, this right dear, consider it a, a, a right guaranteed on an individual basis by the Constitution. And um, there's a concern, on the other hand, that guns out there um, proliferating among the, uh, among the masses cause, cause problems, cause mm-hmm. things like Columbine. And, and so these are, these are issues which we need to grapple with. Um, but I'm pleased, I'm very pleased, that both sides of, of this issue have chosen to go back to the documents themselves. That is, that is possibly one of the most important parts about this case, not just that the subject matter is, is so important, which it is, but the method in which the legal community and the highest court of the land is choosing to review this question, they're going back to the founders. My view is that most of the time the founders were no, more knowledgeable about the document that they created than we are. Lorian Updike, tell us how uh, we can access uh, the site and uh, use it. Well, you can simply go to www.consource.org, and to view the documents that we've been talking about, you can click on the Constitution, go to the Second Amendment, and simply click on either the Well-Regulated Militia Clause or the Right to Keep and Bear Arms Clause, and you can see all of these documents we've been talking about and those that the Supreme Court are using. Lorian, thanks so much for joining us today. Congratulations on the success of your project. Well, thank you so much, Penna. Great to be with you. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, one thing I do want to mention about uh, the uh, effectiveness of gun ownership, and this comes from John Lott, who is a uh, researcher on social problems and social issues. And he has so much information on how, number one, uh, guns are uh, a benefit to women because women are the weaker sex and often uh, crimes against women can be uh, can be stopped because they may have a gun. And in many cases, not just in the country, also in the cities, uh, it's important for people to be able to own guns to protect themselves from criminals, intruders into their homes. And, of course, there's the, um, the recreational use of guns. So there are lots of reasons uh, to protect people's right to keep and bear arms. And this will be a, another co- uh, topic of conversation in the future here on Jerry Johnson Live. But next up, we're going to talk about how Christ walks where evil reigned. That's next.
listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. In 1994, in the short span of 100 days, more than a million people were slaughtered in Rwanda. Certainly the West has provided some aid to that small African country since then. Uh, but we didn't help much during the process, and we have definitely fallen short. Uh, our next guest is Peter Holmes. He and the Archbishop of Rwanda have written a book entitled Christ Walks, Where Evil Reigned. Uh, what is this evil, and how can the church respond? We're going to talk with that, him about that. But first, uh, let's just listen to this sort of picture of the situation. It is a hatred fueled by the ever-present voice of Rwandan state radio. It's a picture, I'm afraid, of most horrible catastrophe that's taking place in Rwanda. The evidence of atrocities, man. Kigali Hospital can't cope. The casualty ward is packed full of people with horrific open wounds from knives and machetes. Every few hours, another boatload of corpses is pulled up onto the beach at Dimu. Fishermen put them into bags and throw them unceremoniously into a trailer. The problem is that we need a military presence on the ground. As I walked a few yards to the church, I found first the body of a child. Beyond him, several adults, and then at the rear of the building, a mound of bodies. There were hundreds of dead people here. Alicia started shooting, hacking and cutting people to pieces. It was a miracle that I survived. All around me, they were dead bodies. The commander of the Rwandan Patriotic Front, General Paul Kagame, has declared a ceasefire. The RPF have swept through Rwanda, but now they face their toughest battle. To coax back the hundreds of thousands of refugees, bring Rwanda's killers to justice, and do so without reigniting the Hutu-Tutsi hatred. That's a montage of BBC reports on the 100 Days of Genocide in Rwanda. With us now is Peter Holmes, and uh, he has been involved in Christian missions in Africa, the Middle East, Asia, and Europe. He specializes in helping people find deeper wholeness in Christ. He's the author of nine books, and he has joint responsibility for teaching, preaching, and pastoral care at Christ Church Deal, uh, Kent, the United Kingdom, which is the fifth church he helped to plant. He's a qualified trainer and business psychologist, and he's co-author of this new book, Christ Walks Where Evil Reigned, Responding to the Rwandan Genocide, uh, co-authored with the Archbishop of Rwanda, Emmanuel M. Collini. And uh, Mr. Holmes, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Uh, thank you for the uh, privilege of talking with you. Can you explain to us, uh, first of all, uh, for people who really don't know, uh, and I'm, it's complicated, but what was this genocide about and how did it uh, come to uh, a head? Yes, the Belgian uh, government began to uh, colonize uh, Rwanda at the turn of the century. And uh, as part of its way of ruling and keeping control of the people, um, it noticed that there were basically two groups in most villages. There was the herdsmen and there was the farmers, the Tutsi and the Hutu. Uh, they spoke the same language, they lived in the same villages, but they had different vocations. And this is almost like a Cain and Abel situation. Let me jump in for and, a moment, Dr. Holmes, because I think a lot of people are under the impression that this was a racial situation, but this really was divided between um, between vocations, wasn't it? Oh, yes. It was never racial at all. Um, 
you don't have two ethnic groups, you have one language group. You would have uh, herdsmen and farmers all living in the same village. But actually there was this vocational distinction where the herdsmen tended to be wealthier because they owned the cattle, and the cattle was the currency of trade in the villages. So they tended to be more wealthy, and so there was jealousy against them. And these were the Tutsi people. And what happened, of course, is that uh, in the educational system, much of it led by the church, in the government promotion schemes for the education of the local people, uh, there was a selection process. And part of this selection process was to divide and rule. And what happened, of course, is that by the 1950s, there was a deep hatred between these two vocational groups, great deal of jealousy, the population was expanding fast, and there's, it's a small country with a big population. And so there was a threat of not having enough food for everybody. So there was a genocide in 1959. We don't know how many people were killed. Estimates put it at around... 10 to 12,000 people. But then in 1994, it exploded in an appalling way. The Hutu, the farmers, had control of the country and of the government. And they began a program uh, over a number of years of building a militia, what was called the Interhamra, that actually were trained to kill the Tutsi, the farmers, and to take their cattle and to take their land. And in 1994, the uh, president of the country was killed um, when his aircraft was shot down, and it exploded into uh, rage and revenge. Uh, the radio began to speak, as you gave in those press cuttings, to promote the murder of the Tutsi, and there was absolute carnage. 10,000 people per day were being killed during that 100 days of the genocide. Uh, it was a horrible time, and can you just talk a little bit about what should have been the role of the United States and the United Nations and how uh, the kind of the world fell short? Yes. Um, even before the genocide, uh, American intelligence, European intelligence was telling the world, look, there's an explosion here about to happen. Uh, we were looking at, say, 300,000 machetes being imported into the country during the two or three years before the genocide. There were um, there was a, a number of um, killings on the edge of the country in villages where the Interhamra were practicing how to kill people. Hmm. Um, and there was mass slaughter in these villages where whole villages were destroyed. And all of this data was available to everybody. It was known that this was going to happen, but the United Nations, the American government, the European governments uh, wanted to uh, remain in relationship with the government of the country, so they didn't question these things, and they didn't actually treat it that seriously. All right, you have this book out, and it's been endorsed by uh, Pastor Rick Warren of Saddleback Church. He yes. says it illustrates for us the consequences of sin. Uh, however, yes. it also encourages us to think in new ways so we can work toward peace. And the book is mm. Christ Walked uh, Walks Where Evil Reigns. So first, uh, we don't have a whole lot of time, so tell us about the situation yes. there right now. I mean, I think the sad part is a lot of children were left without parents, and so there were a lot of families headed by children. So now 14 years yes. later, what's it like? 
Yeah, the reality is that we're now looking at 12, 14 years after the genocide. Um, there are um, probably half a million women who are intentionally infected with AIDS by men who took the disease themselves in order to infect them. Uh, there are now very large numbers of children growing up into young womanhood and young manhood uh, who actually don't know anything about their own history or their parents and their families and even the villages they came from. And what's beginning to happen is that 12, 14 years later, we're beginning to notice a range of diseases that are unknown in this part of Africa. Um, things like heart disease, a whole range of cancers, uh, what we describe as stress-related or psychophysiological illnesses. The World Health Organization is beginning to look very, very carefully with horror at some of these diseases. And uh, what we're looking at is a time bomb, but it's not just in Rwanda. We're looking at Central East Africa. We're looking at uh, countries like the Congo, where there has been genocide more recently than 1994. We're looking at uh, Uganda. We're looking at countries like southern Sudan, Darfur region, mm -hmm. um, where the bloodshed continues. This whole part of Africa has become a bloodbath over the last 30 or 40 years. Well, there's certainly and a role for the church here, uh, Dr. Holmes, and mm -hmm. you've written the book, yes. of course, you've co-authored it with uh, the Archbishop of yes. Rwanda. So, you know, yes. the church fell short uh, during the genocide. What's it doing now and what uh, should it be doing? And also just talk about the American church and how we can help. The, the reality is that the church still has a, a huge role to play. Africa has the fastest-growing Christian church in the world. Um, there are many tens of thousands of young people coming to Christ every week, and the church is growing remarkably. Uh, this part of Africa, Rwanda, has experienced some of the most remarkable and long-sustained revivals of any part of the world back in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s. Uh, today, the church is looked upon by many of the people with distrust and contempt because of the place that it took in the genocide, in actually opening the doors to the murder of its own congregations in many parts mm. of the country. But today the church has got to redeem itself. It's got to say that God is more powerful than the enemy. And we have answers to the needs of these people. So we're launching this program in Rwanda, teaching the Rwandese people to help one another become experts by experience. We describe this program as a therapy, therapeutic community movement that we're beginning to birth. And How can people... I've got to interrupt you because we're uh, ending the segment yes, here, sorry. and we know you're uh, there in the United Kingdom. We appreciate you <laughs> joining us. How can people find out more about this other than getting the book Christ Walks Where Evil Reigned? Yes, there are several ways. Uh, the back of the book does have uh, a whole bunch of contact information. It lists 20 or 30 ways that people can get involved if they want to. So really the best way is to get the book. Yes. Okay. The book is the best source of information of the life-giving trust. Dr. Peter Holmes, thank you so much for your interest in this and for uh, giving us all this information yes. and for the book and for joining me today. Bless you. Thank you for the privilege of talking with you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a right turn in the fourth segment because I've been thinking about this whole phenomenon of spring break. Did any college students you know go on a spring break beach trip?
If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswill.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. When it comes specifically to HIV AIDS, the most important prevention is education, which should include which should include abstinence only edu- should include abstinence education and and teaching the children teaching children you know that sex is not something casual but it should also include it should also include other you know information about contraception because look I've got two daughters 9 year old 9 years old and 6 years old I'm going to teach them first of all about values and morals but if they make a mistake, I don't want them punished with a baby. Barack Obama, what's wrong with abstinence-only education? That would probably take care of that baby uh, issue that you're talking about. And, uh, you know, I wonder if uh, Barack Obama is going to send his daughters to uh, some of the beach uh, events at spring break when they're in college. My question for you is, did any college students you know, or if you're a college student, did you go and spend spring break at any of the Florida beaches or maybe uh, down in Mexico? And what was your experience if you did so? Our number is 800-881-9270. Spring break is a phenomenon that has a a lesson for us about women. Oh, my producer tells me Padre Island's another spring break destination. And most of this is over now, so I want to know uh, what your experience was, if you had one. Uh, but I also want to talk about the results of feminism, because I think that's a little bit of what Barack Obama is talking about. And the fact that, uh, yes, young ladies are going to make mistakes, and they're going to end up with problems like sexually transmitted diseases, uh, maybe uh, unwed, unwanted pregnancies. And... Uh, a columnist, Megum Dom, she's an L.A. Times columnist, and she's done some research on this whole phenomenon that is called spring break. And, uh, of course, she looked in the Journal of American College Health, and she found out uh, something which she had also seen herself when she went to Cancun to observe spring break in action. Uh, and, of course, she saw there women partying at spring break hot spots. And uh, in this report, it says that these women consume an average of about 10 alcoholic drinks per day. Men average 18. And so her comment was, uh, she just marvels that women in the process of pursuing higher education would actually involve themselves in such demeaning activities as, and here's her quote, uh, you might want to shield the ears of children uh, for this one, but girl against girl wrestling uh, matches held in giant vats of pudding, 
also wet t-shirt contests, and uh, offering salty body parts for men to lick while consuming tequila shots. Some of the things you see on those beaches in spring break. Uh, if you have other experiences, you might want to let us know. Just uh, weigh in on this whole spring break phenomenon at 800-881-9270. But Megan Dom went to Cancun, and she interviewed some co-eds. And she found out, at least this is what she assumes and concludes, they are really after um, confidence. That's what they want. That's what these young ladies want. Many of them see these spring break beach destinations as proving grounds for their sexual attractiveness. So they they tan. They get ready for this thing. They tan. They wax. Uh, Some of them even have uh, certain surgeries in preparation for spring break so they can really look good. But uh, she says it's not just one wild week. In fact, this hotness factor that these women are trying to, uh, I guess, embellish in themselves is the most important component of self-worth for these young women, not just at the beach, but all the time. It's more than jobs. It's more than grad school. So, you know, is this what the feminist movement has done for for our young ladies, for our women? It was supposed to elevate women above the status of sex object. Of course, women have sought and have attained uh, a lot of things, including uh, educational equality with men. There are actually more women graduating from college and more women in many of the professional schools. Some have, though, adopted men's baser behavior, and of course this was made possible with birth controls, Barack Obama referred to. So now college students across the nation are sort of involved, in many cases, in a sort of a hookup culture, where there's no close relationship required for sexual relations. And, uh, you know, the question is, this is supposed to build a young woman's competence? Uh, we do have uh, some folks calling to weigh in. We don't have a whole lot of time left in the program. But uh, Judy in North Richland Hills. Judy, what are your thoughts on this whole spring break phenomenon? Well, I, I think it's deplorable and certainly an abomination. I can't believe that women subject themselves to that. I have a quick horror story. I know a young man who went on spring break and shared a taxi with a young woman who was totally inebriated to the passing out point. Mm-hmm. And the taxi cab driver actually suggested to this young man that they take her somewhere. And praise God, he had a little more moral fiber than that. But those are the kind of things that happen. And probably those girls don't even talk about it because it's so shameful. Yeah, what what happened at spring break is left in the beaches of uh, Mexico or Florida sometimes. Yeah, but those girls take it with them the rest of their life. Well, that's absolutely correct. Judy, thank you so much for your call. I appreciate that. I also want to mention uh, before the end of the program that tomorrow Dr. Barry Creamer will be uh, in in the studio, in this chair, and uh, he will be uh, basically hosting a Theology Day program, and I know uh, all of you love that. You can call him. In fact, you ought to be thinking about your questions for Dr. Creamer right now because sometimes he'll open the phones up to whatever you want to ask. Also next week, a couple of special guests will have John Maxwell and John Eldridge. And uh, I also want to mention that after the program, I'm going to get in my car and head up to Plano. I'll be speaking at Golden Corridor Republican Women's Club at Parkway Hills Baptist Church. And that's at uh, Park and the Toll Road. And uh, we're going to be talking about just sort of hope for conservatism and uh, what uh, convicted Christian conservatives uh, need to do right now. And we'll 
be trying to give a little encouragement in that area. So we'd love to have you join us. It's a pro-life, pro-family, Republican Women's Club, and I just happen to be the speaker tonight. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I just want to go back to the Word of God. There's a lot more to say about this whole uh, spring break phenomenon. One thing that did happen uh, this year and happens other years is a wonderful Southern Baptist ministry called Beach Reach. And the Beach Reachers uh, actually go to these spring break destinations. They're young kids themselves, and they are trained uh, to witness to the young people that are involved in some of the uh, other activities in spring break. They offer free van rides and pancake breakfasts, and of course, the gospel for their partying peers, and uh, this is an outreach of LifeWay of the Southern Baptist Convention. But ladies and gentlemen, when we look at uh, young women, and of course, I think uh, even the feminist young women, and when they answer surveys, they say they would like to eventually get married. So uh, if that's your goal, girls, then you ought to sort of start acting like it now. And when you go to First Peter, uh, you learn about uh, what God really expects and what the wise way to behave yourselves is, young ladies. Uh, and I'm saying that as uh, an older young, an older young woman who uh, really wants the next generation of women to excel and to do well and succeed. And one way is by chaste conduct, accompanied by fear, says Paul in First Peter. Don't let your beauty be the outward adorning of the arranging of the hair. But let it be the hidden person of the heart. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.